that investors are really focused on. And also after the bell, we'll be hearing from Hertz, the rental car company, a day after Avis Budget slashed its annual profit forecast. Hertz reports after the closing bell. Analysts are projecting a third straight quarter of adjusted losses. We have got Hertz shares down 6.7% right now. Uh, Avis Budget Group is trading lower by 9.8%. Gold down 370 the ounce, down three-tenths of 1%. Crude oil down 31 cents a barrel, down six-tenths of 1% to 49.08. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. You were listening to Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg Radio. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not be televised. Gil Scott Heron said it. Larry Downs uh, might disagree. He disagrees with a lot of uh, people. That's what we love about Larry Downs. Larry Downs is the project director at Georgetown Center for Business and Public Policy, joining us on the phone from Berkeley, California. And, uh, uh, Larry, uh, talk to us about YouTube. You've got a really interesting piece out in the Washington Post about uh, uh, how YouTube is really changing the world of content. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. I mean, YouTube now has over a billion hours uh, a month of viewership. That's about the same as, as uh, traditional TV. And, uh, you know, we now have a couple thousand YouTube stars who have over a million subscribers each. The business model, how these people make money, it's amazing. I, I interviewed one of these uh, up-and-coming YouTube stars and, and just found out that uh, what we're seeing is a just complete transformation of the content industry in, in ways that, of course, nobody would have expected even a few years ago. Larry, I was thinking a, a couple weeks ago I saw in New York City, it must have been, I don't know, four miles long of a line, and I went up and asked what they were waiting for, and it was a YouTube star that they could purchase merchandise from. But I have to tell you, one thing really stood out, and it was the age. It was basically all preteens and their parents with them. I mean, what, what's sort of the demographics of the shift to YouTube? Well, the, yeah, sure. If you're talking about YouTube and, and then even weirder sort of alternative video like, uh, you know, from Instagram and Snapchat and, and Facebook, uh, it's definitely the millennials who are, who are driving this revolution. But, you know, even among um, uh, baby boomers and, and older Americans, the shift away from traditional TV to things like Netflix and from traditional TV devices to uh, to laptops and, and pads and telephone viewing, it's dramatic. The, the drop in people who say, they prefer to watch on a television screen as opposed to another device has, has gone down by 55% just in the last year. Wait, say that again? The number, so the, in other words, people who said what was their preference, would they, would they rather watch video on a TV screen or some other device, the ones who said TV was their first preference dropped by half in the last year, according to Accenture. And that's across different uh, uh, demographics? Across the, in, in the U.S. specifically, yes. Yeah. crazy millennials. Not just crazy millennials, no. But including <laughs> crazy, crazy millennials. Um, I, I think it's well, what about the long tail here? I mean, I, I am, uh, again, personal anecdotes. I went on, I had a, a, a guitar gig last weekend and I was sitting with a band, a tune that I don't play. I went on YouTube to see how a couple guys play it and there were like seven videos of knuckleheads in their garage <laughs> trying to play this pretty simple to play Bruce Springsteen tune. All of them in the same key, most of them with the same fingering, and it was there was little value add between video number one and number seven. Does the number of videos and hours which you've cited really matter when there really is still the concentration around some of the biggest stuff? Uh, yeah, I think it does. I mean, in the sense that you know people are finding that they have these incredible 
devoted niche uh, markets. And, you know, when production costs are effectively zero, uh, it, anybody can do it. So this, this uh, the host of uh, Binging with Babish, who I interviewed, this guy Andrew Ria, he was telling me that basically he, his entire production was a $6,000 investment. That's a digital camera and some lights and a copy of uh, Adobe Premiere. All he really has to pay for on an individual episode is is eighty nine dollars a month for his his internet and the cost of the ingredients for the recipes he recreates, which you know he said for you know sixty dollars on the low end he did a Game of Thrones episode that cost him five hundred dollars on the high end uh, and he's making good money on this. I feel like this is why traditional TV broadcasts love reality TV because of those costs. You you really don't have as much there. But I have to imagine. I mean, are 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 the classic uh, TV stations that we think of waking up to this? Do they feel a threat, uh, especially as they get more popular and and broadcast TV seems to be getting less popular? Yeah, they, they, they feel a threat and there is a real threat. And, and part of the problem is that they're kind of stuck in a, in a regulatory, uh, morass where, you know, what, what a particular cable or, or satellite provider, what channels they have to provide, what channels they can provide, who they're allowed to buy content from. All of that is still very highly regulated. And so, you know, we get these over the top, uh, skinny bundles or non-bundled content. Uh, the traditional producers, people like, you know, Disney and Fox and CBS, they want to break out of that. The cable and, and satellite people want to break out of that. But a lot of it is, is still regulated to protect sort of old-fashioned over-the-air broadcast uh, in, in ways that isn't any longer helpful. Do we see a, a monopoly in what YouTube does? Do we see a monopoly? Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's, you know, Monopoly, YouTube is obviously dominating here, but um, the ability to do other things, we have things like uh, uh, Twitch, which, you know, is a specific channel for people watching you play video games. Um, that's incredibly popular, millions and millions of subscribers. Um, there's really nothing that, that, you know, that YouTube has that can't be duplicated. Indeed, for very specialized uh, markets, there's already a lot of competition. Has the FCC attempted to step in here at all? I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of fair use on YouTube channels. Larry, but... Larry loves it when the FCC steps in. <laughs> it's his favorite thing. Well, uh, look, a lot of the programming it. that's being produced, there's no obviously there's no copyright issues, and and in terms of the other stuff, yeah, there's been uh, you know pretty aggressive uh, actions to, uh, to to curb copyright of abuse. But here's what the FCC did in in 2014: they started a proceeding that would have regulated all the internet-based streaming services, things like Netflix and, and Hulu and so on, as if they were traditional cable companies. So that would have just applied all the same restrictions to them and. Instead of freeing up the cable companies to do the same kinds of things that that YouTube does, fortunately that proceeding so far hasn't gone anywhere. But um, you know that's sort of the way the, the the FCC thinks is how can we this is really working well? How can we regulate it so that it doesn't? Um, what about for the content creators themselves? I mean, it's interesting to me that there have been some sort of licensing solutions to what might have been very thorny problems in the early days of YouTube. There was concern that that people playing music, for example, uh, as a bed underneath. Uh, their kid dancing, would get in trouble, could get sued for that, would have their videos pulled down. But instead, sort of uh, general licensing uh, has helped YouTube do that. Is that regime working? 
It seems to be working very well. I mean, obviously, it took a while for the for the you know the, the music uh, vaults to open up and for the companies to realize this was in fact their salvation in terms of of declining revenue in sort of traditional media based music. And now there does seem to be a pretty you know low transaction cost availability way of getting licensed music uh, and being able to include it in various you know over the top video sharing the ad revenue and so on. That does seem to be working pretty well now. I mean, you don't really hear so much about things being, you know, every now and then something gets pulled down that probably shouldn't, or on the other side something goes up that, that, that you know, clearly is a violation. But, you know, all those big lawsuits you might remember that, you know, YouTube was being sued by, by Viacom for its very life. Right. That went on for years, and it just finally Larry, we just jump. dribbled away. Larry, Larry Downs from Georgetown, this is Bloomberg. Nathan Hager right now with a look at world and national news headlines from Washington, D.C. President Trump is warning North Korea not to threaten the U.S. Speaking at the start of a briefing on the opioid crisis, the president says if the situation with Pyongyang escalates any further... They will be met with fire, fury, and frankly power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. A defense intelligence agency assessment obtained by the Washington Post says North Korea has successfully miniaturized a nuclear warhead. Former U.N. Ambassador Bill Richardson says new sanctions could help starve the North's nuclear program. The North Korean economy is rather small, and if these sanctions are enforced, uh, they're going to make a difference. Now, if you go after oil exports, which this sanction did not go after, uh, after this, that is really going to almost... Stop the North Korean economy. Richardson was on Bloomberg Television. South African President Jacob Zuma is jubilant after surviving a no-confidence vote. Millions is supported by the overwhelming majority of this country. They will realize in 2019 when we win... In a big number once again. Zuma's opposition called for the no-confidence vote after he fired the finance minister in April. He has survived past votes before. This was the first by secret ballot. Belgian prosecutors say no explosives were found in a car that was stopped by police after a high-speed chase in the suburb of Molenbeek. That is an area that has been a flashpoint since last year's airport and subway attacks. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. This is Bloomberg.